The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Northern Ireland is in the unbelievably special position, unique position in the entire world, European continent, in having privileged access, not just to the UK home market, which is enormous, fifth biggest in the world, but also the European Union single market. Nobody else has that. No one. Only you guys, only here. And that is the prize. I can tell you, when I go around the world and talk to businesses, they, that, you know, they know that. They're like, well, that's interesting. If you guys get this sorted, then we want to invest in Northern Ireland because nowhere else does that exist. That's like the world's most exciting economic zone. That's uh, Rishi Sunak putting an incredibly positive spin on the economic outlook in Northern Ireland should the Windsor framework deal be implemented. Is he right? And will it matter if the DUP get on board or not? Well, I'm joined by the political editor of the Financial Times, George Parker, and to look at the Northern Ireland economy as it now stands uh, before it reaches Rishi Sunak's promised land, a professor of economics at DCU Business School, Edgar Morganroth. Uh, good morning and welcome to you both. Um, George, listening to Rishi Sunak... Um, you could believe that some fantastic achievement has been got for Northern Ireland. However, uh, Northern Ireland has only got what all of uh, the United Kingdom had before Brexit. <laughs> so what's he boasting about? Oh, you could hear the gnashing of teeth across the country uh, yesterday when you when that clip went viral yesterday. Rishi Sunak sounding incredibly enthusiastic and excited about the fact that Northern Ireland would have access to the European single market with untrammeled access. Yeah, a bit like we had across the whole UK up until five years ago. Um, So, yes, I mean, completely shameless uh, effort by the Prime Minister to sell his deal. But what he he said was absolutely true, factually, that now that the UK is out of the EU and out of the single market, Northern Ireland is indeed a bit of an inward investment Shangri-La. And he is correct to say that Northern Ireland is the only place in the whole of Europe which has access to both the UK and the EU markets. Mm. Um, so how do Brexiteers, and he, of course, was an enthusiast, how do they explain that if this single market is so wonderful to have untrammeled access to it, that they threw it away? Well, the trouble is, um, at the moment, they think they can get away with this because the subject of Brexit has been taken off the political agenda by the main political parties. So in normal circumstances, you expect the Labour Party or the Liberal Democrats to be jumping up and saying, aha, I told you so, you've owned up to making a massive mistake. In fact, rather the opposite, there's this conspiracy of silence in the UK at the moment among the main political parties and not talking about Brexit at all. And there's a reason for that. The Labour Party needs to win back a load of votes from people who supported Brexit in 2016 and don't want to upset the apple cart. Liberal Democrats, uh, pro-European party, need to win back seats in the southwest of England where people voted heavily for Brexit. And there's just an overall sense of weariness about Brexit that nobody really wants to make it a top-line political issue at the moment because it was such a divisive and terrible uh, episode for the whole country. So people like Rishi Sunak can get away with this kind of shameless uh, braggadocio, if you like, Mm. uh, without a great deal of comment apart from in places like the FT, for example. Uh, because they will take uh, the, the serious analysis of uh, exactly what he, what he said uh, and uh, the Tory press are obviously not going to have a go at Rishi yet until the time comes, yeah. of course, uh, to ha- have a go at him. So uh, what about uh, Suella? Um, has uh, she remained stum on this because she threatened to resign? Well, there are a whole load of rumours around about people threatening to resign um, from, the, from the government over this deal. And in the end, nobody resigned. 
And in fact, rather the opposite, you had Steve Baker, the Northern Ireland minister, coming out in a very emotional state on the night of the deal, saying what a great deal it had been. And you know, he was probably the person who was most likely to resign, a former chairman of the European Research Group of Tory MPs. He came out and said it was a fantastic deal. And I see even David Frost, the um, former Brexit negotiator, in his Daily Telegraph column, grudgingly accepts the deal's going to go through. In the last paragraph of his column in the Daily Telegraph, um, he says, if that doesn't mean the deal shouldn't go ahead, it will help, but it won't remove the underlying tension. So grudging acceptance. But even Boris Johnson, of course, has gone to ground. We haven't heard anything about him. But it seems like he's accepted there isn't going to be a massive rebellion on this and he's going to keep his head down. Now, what about uh, the ERG? They want to have a look at the legal text. Da, 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 da. Um, are they likely to come on side? Because uh, although they've never, I suppose, said that popularity was their main objective, at the same time, to go against the flow uh, could be quite destructive for them. Yeah, it might just advertise their weakness, to be honest. I think that's the thing they, they're going to have to grapple with. They're not the force they once were, uh, the ERG, when they were causing trouble for Theresa May and um, and David Cameron before that. Um, there was a meeting at Westminster a week or so ago between the ERG and Geoffrey Donaldson from the DUP, where I'm told 27 Tory MPs turned up. In the old days, you could have packed out a room, really, with Tory Eurosceptics. And I think there's an acceptance that you know this deal has been pretty skillfully negotiated by... Rishi Sunak and the EU. Um, it's been landed in a professional way. The communication around it was very well handled as well. And if at the end of a week or so of scrutinising the fine print with their portentously named Star Chamber of Lawyers, if they come out and spot a few potential problems with it in the fine print, are they really going to go over the top? And if they do, Sunak will force a vote. So it's going to, there's going to be a vote in the House of Commons in any event. You'll have Labour Party support, Liberal Democrat Party support. And you'll just see effectively how few Tory MPs are really prepared to sort of defy the uh, defy the odds and sort of go over the top really so my guess is in the end they'll they'll go quietly now uh, from the DUP's point of view are they pretty friendless now in Westminster well the DUP have got used of course to being um, <laughs> choose my words carefully turned over by the Tories uh, most notably by Boris Johnson signing the Northern Ireland Protocol in the first place so they won't be uh, unaccustomed to the idea of being left a bit friendless. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, this, the DUP is now in a, in a pretty tricky position. I think the Parliament in, uh, over here will very overwhelmingly endorse this deal. Um, the DUP are then going to come under a lot of pressure from the Americans. They may not be susceptible to that, of course, but, I mean, the Americans will be hoping that this deal can be got across the, across the line. And they'll, have to be making, they'll be making their own electoral calculations about whether it's to their political advantage to stay out of the institutions. There are some local elections coming up in Northern Ireland in May. Some speculation they might decide to keep their council until after those elections. But after that, you know, I think most people would agree in British politics over here, at least, that you can't allow the DUP to have this veto over the operation of government in a part of the UK ad infinitum. So Big moment of truth, I think, is approaching for Jeffrey Donaldson and his party. Yeah. Will Rishi Sunak wait that long, though, until after local elections in Northern Ireland? Well, he said that the DUP should be given time and space, and that's quite an elastic concept when it comes to Northern Ireland politics, as you know. I mean, the, the, the region's been um, without government for several years in the past. I think they can wait a little bit longer. But in the end, you know, someone will have to grasp the nettle. If, if there's a, a Labour government uh, coming in, there's a British general election, as you know, scheduled for next year, probably in the autumn of next year. If the Labour Party win that election, I don't think they'll be they'll be particularly sympathetic to 
uh, a DUP veto either. So it might be better for the DUP to get back in before Keir Starmer changes the rules of the game up there. George, thank you very much for joining us. George Parker, political editor with the Financial Times. Now, Edgar Morganroth, Professor of Economics at DCU Business School, has been looking at the Northern Ireland economy for us. Edgar, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Now, it's an economy which is uh, different to other economies because it is one that exists on the basis of a subsidy from Westminster. Indeed, uh, and, and that's one of the very striking features of Northern Ireland. I mean, first of all, we, 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 should, we should acknowledge that Northern Ireland is actually an, a relatively small part of the UK, 2.8% of the population and, and just 2.2% of UK GDP. And, and, and that's going to weigh strongly on what Sunak is going to do. Uh, uh, he needed uh, to get settlement of this issue to normalize the relationship between the UK and, and the EU. Uh, polit- you know, economically, uh, that's really important to him because the UK economy is not doing well. Um, so Northern Ireland is a small thing uh, within, the, within the UK, and it's, one, it's, a, it's a part of the UK that has been underperforming for many, many years. And of course, we would blame the troubles on, on some of this, but uh, th- when you look at the data, there hasn't really been a peace dividend. Um, now, let's talk about employment. Um, you know, there, in any developed economy, there's a certain size that would be typical for a public service, a certain size that might be typical of uh, the major industry, uh, which could be, you know, high tech or it could be farming or whatever. How does the Northern Ireland economy break down? So if you look at employment, again, this is very striking. Uh, um just over 35% of people employed in Northern Ireland are employed, broadly speaking, in the public sector, uh, public um, uh, administration, education, health. If you compare that with the uh, Republic of Ireland, it's it's about just over 26%. Uh, and and so it's it's very, very heavily focused on the public sector. And again, the, the, the big subsidy comes that comes in uh, uh, to Northern Ireland is plays a factor in this. And if you look at public expenditure as a share of Northern Ireland GDP, it's around about 60%. If you compare that with the Republic of Ireland, it's it's about 45% here. Uh, so the public sector uh, occupies a huge part in Northern Ireland. And uh, the private sector hasn't really been performing very well. Productivity growth has been below average, below UK average for a very long time. And uh, uh, the, the UK itself doesn't have spectacular productivity growth. Uh, so Northern Ireland is really lagging. So the performance of the UK generally is poor and Northern Ireland's performance poorer again. That's right. Uh, so Northern Ireland is 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 uh, sort of falling behind uh, continually uh, uh, in a country which uh, is not exactly stellar when it comes to growth performance. So uh, this promised land of Rishi Sunak uh, only giving back to Northern Ireland um, what all of the UK had before Brexit. Um, so why would it make a difference now? I mean, was Brexit uh, and the prospect of a Brexit a break? on development in Northern Ireland or did they were they not just very good at doing the business particularly with the the background of the troubles and uh, social um, unrest 
Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the troubles were the excuse uh, used to 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 uh, blow up the, the oh, to to not blow up uh, to 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 increase the size of the the public sector. Uh, whenever there was a problem, just spend a bit more public money. Um, and Bre- Brexit, of course, has now really uh, put a focus on Northern Ireland because of the the, the, the border and. It's interesting uh, what Sunak said uh, because uh, the, Nor- the, the Northern Ireland Protocol gave uh, Northern Ireland all of what he had said uh, this new deal uh, is giving. Uh, there's nothing new in this. It's only the operation of how the protocol uh, operates that has been changed. And, and here I think it's very noteworthy that Sunak himself seems to have uh, been much more willing to to compromise than his predecessors, uh, and that's why a deal was possible. Uh, uh, you know what has ultimately been agreed is is simply uh, removing certain aspects of the protocol so that uh, there is less of a problem to some traders in Northern Ireland. Uh, and Northern Ireland has this interesting status now. Of, of being essentially in in the single market and in the UK, and that should be an advantage. And in fact, it's really really hard to understand why the DUP uh, doesn't actually support this because it is an advantage relative to all other uh, regions in the UK. And then you hear the Scots, for instance, who did not want to leave the EU, uh, uh, being a bit sore that they don't have that sort of status themselves. Mm. I mean, it would be uh, impossible, I think, for uh, the UK government to allow Scotland to uh, chase that status. But uh, in terms of inward investment, if you think that Scotland and Northern Ireland uh, might be in so many ways similar, uh, that uh, an investor looking at the two terrains would say, well, Northern Ireland, I've unfettered access to the single market in Scotland. I don't. So I'll put my money in Belfast or Larne or wherever, I won't put it in Glasgow or Edinburgh. And, and uh, that, that's possibly going to happen. Of course, uh, the the access, the market access, is only one factor that's going to uh, impact on on your investment decision. And that's where Northern Ireland really needs to get its act together. Uh, the, the there are a range of factors that would. Uh, uh, discourage people to invest in Northern Ireland. Um, for example, the educational attainment level in Northern Ireland is relatively poor. There, there are relatively large share of the of the workforce uh, without formal qualifications, educational qualifications. Relatively low share uh, with third level qualifications. Part of this is to do with emigration. A, a lot of uh, third level graduates leave Northern Ireland, but the average is relatively poor. And human capital, highly educated people, is one of the big draws for industry right now. If Scotland has a better educated workforce, it may still end up attracting the investment that Northern Ireland should be attracting. Uh, so there, there are other factors that need to be worked on in Northern Ireland. And of course, not having an assembly, uh, this constant um, bickering between the nationalists and the unionists doesn't help uh, in addressing the sort of structural problems that exist in Northern Ireland. Edgar Morganroth, Professor of Economics at DCU Business School. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. 
on News Talk.